broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. We are not just a radio show anymore because obviously a lot of you watching this on YouTube can see this. So it's more like a talk show that's about the outdoors, a video podcast, whatever you want to call it. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brett Amundsen. That's Dan Amundsen over there. Dan, how you doing? Hi, doing well. It's been a very busy time lately. We've been out hunting all the time, even doing some fishing. We'll recap our pheasant opener weekend. Dan, what? how would you rate that uh, pheasant opener this year? What? What's my scale? Oh, I don't know. Out of what? Sure. One to 10. One to 10, 12. 12. It was good. And we'll tell you why. I take that back. Nine and a half. <laughs> There's a reason for it. We'll tell you why later. Okay. Well, we'll find out here in just a second about that. Uh, we will also talk to Chris Sebastian from Ducks Unlimited. We're going to talk about what it's like to go into Canada and bring birds back right now, what waterfowl populations are doing in the long term, and what the migration looks like right now. So if you're going to be hunting around the Mississippi or Central Flyway, we'll talk about what conditions are like right now and what impact drought has on waterfowl. Is it all bad? Is some of it kind of good? We'll discuss that here in just a couple of minutes. Joe Henry, we'll talk about what's going on up at the Rainy River and the Northwest Angle where we were this week. And uh, we'll tell you more about that coming up as well. And uh, we'll check in with Eric Osberg, who has some absolute must-have tips to get ready for the ice fishing season all coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Dan, who are the sponsors this week? This week, we've got Haybell Heights Campground and Resort on Devil's Lake. A book, a trip to Devil's Lake at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country, find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism, Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this fall or winter at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. On X, know where you stand with On X. And Prairie Sportsman, watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for air times. Congrats on the Emmy, Prairie Sportsman. Yeah, thank you very much. On behalf of Prairie Sportsman, we did spend, it was an interesting day Saturday, uh, Dan. You know, we were in Worthington, for the governor's pheasant opener, we went out, had an amazing pheasant hunt, and then literally drove from Worthington to Bloomington. I had to, I had to take my orange off and put on a suit for the Emmy Awards. And I was thinking, you know, Bob St. Pierre has got that blaze orange suit. Yep. And I was thinking, how perfect would that have been to wear to the Emmys on pheasant opener? Well, you could have worn it hunting, too. With what we walked, you wouldn't have even gotten dirty. We we went down to Worthington and we're filming a story for Prairie Sportsman down there during the governor's opener about the Worthington Wells or the Worthington Wellhead Protection Project. And it's a collection of public lands around about the only available water source that the community of Worthington has to serve the people there for their drinking water. So over the years, they have protected this drinking source with uh, public lands and putting grass on there that naturally cleans the water for it, keeps uh, the runoff down and, and protects this wellhead around Worthington. Well, Pheasants Forever is very instrumental. They have 43 pheasant runs down there in Nobles County. That's the public land acquisitions that they've made, then turn things over to the DNR to create uh, wildlife management areas. And I wanted to tell people about this project. Not only has it created public land for people, habitat for wildlife, but also protects the clean drinking water down there as well too. So we went to film it and then I kind of wanted to hunt on it. And normally Dan, at these governor's openers, these media events, they pair you with hunter hosts and you get to hunt some really nice private land to showcase uh, the good hunting opportunities that are in the area. And honestly, to, to, to you can't really reserve public land. So if you bring media people in, 
You generally don't turn them loose on public land in case there's other hunters there. You don't want to take away hunting opportunities for other hunters in the area or the locals there. So a lot of times you go to private stuff and then uh, you're in, you're on your own in the afternoon and then you can try to get on public land if you want. So I wanted to film on public land and they didn't do hunter hosts this year. So we didn't have any place to go anyway. So Scott Rawl from Nobles County said, well, why don't you try this public piece? Why don't you try this public public piece? And everybody told us if we're going to go hunt around Worthington Wells, we need to get there early because it's going to be busy. So we skipped breakfast, got up early, and we went and parked on a public piece around, what, 7 a.m., I suppose? Yep. Something like that, a couple hours early, and sat on it. And we are on our way to one of those places that Scott told us to try when we saw Pheasant Run number 1, the first ever public land acquisition by Pheasants Forever. And I looked and I told Dan, I said, this is where we're going to hunt. There's nobody here yet. We're going to park here. We're going to hunt here. I didn't know how quickly it was going to be over, Dan. Well, and that's why I gave it a nine and a half because we didn't even hunt an hour <laughs> and I had to go home or we, we didn't have a choice. We could have stayed, but I don't know what we'd have done. We had to go home. We, I think I had my first two pheasants in 13 minutes and Dan had his two in just about the same amount of time. Probably. Yeah. Cause we switched off. So we weren't hunting at the same time we were filming. So I was filming, you got done, we switched. And then after, yeah, it probably was. Cause it was like nine 45 or 46, whatever it was when we were had bird number four and that was after who dickery of switching around <laughs> guns and cameras and whatever but uh and it was it was good hunting and it was fun dog work and it was a neat place to do it but it wasn't just that that made that hunt kind of fun because as we walked as we were getting ready to hunt we saw that somebody pulled in and was hunting across the road from us and i don't know if he kicked up a bunch of birds when he parked or what but all of a sudden we were watching pheasants fly into the piece that we were about to walk so now we knew there were pheasants in there for sure we kind of knew where they were and then as we were getting ready to walk all of a sudden these three hawks were just harassing all these pheasants and they were getting them up out of the grass and there was a cut cornfield next to us and it was right on the property edge and they were chasing these pheasants throughout the cornfield. So it was just this wild, crazy, chaotic hour of pheasant hunting with us shooting our birds, seeing some really young birds, watching tiny work, and then seeing these pheasants get harassed by these hawks. And before we knew it, it was all over, but the ending might've been the best. And this is what Dan's last bird of the day looked like right here. Hen, hen, hen. Oh my gosh, there's a rooster. Nice. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Just like that, it was over. And that was the, I mean, we were seeing birds bumping up all the time, but that was one of the biggest groups. And we, what did we go, 200 yards maybe from the truck? I don't know, I didn't even break a sweat and normally I break a lot of sweats pheasant hunting. I'll never complain about being over quickly. Uh, but it, we didn't get to see much of the property. We didn't get to see much of the land. And then there was somebody hunting on the other side of the same public piece that we were on. And uh, so we just turned around and got out of there quick so we didn't disturb his hunting at all. And we definitely would have ended up meeting in the middle. And that's just the way it goes on public land on opener. But we didn't, we didn't need to go any further. It was over pretty quick. And we filmed it all for Prairie Sportsman. And you'll see it coming up during the new season, which starts in January on Pioneer PBS. And we went straight from there to Lake of the Woods earlier uh, this week. By the time you're watching this, we've been spending some time up at Lake of the Woods doing some layout boat duck hunting up at the Northwest Angle. It's a cast and blast trip. Uh, Dan, I've always wanted to be in layout boats. Is that something you've wanted to do? For a long time. And 
they, there's four spots in Minnesota you can do it, but that's, I mean, who just has a layout boat laying around to go do it? So uh, we're getting the opportunity to do it now. I always wanted to do it on the ocean, and that's a little bit harder, obviously, because we don't live near the ocean, newsflash. So this is the next best thing. It's basically the sixth Great Lake. So we get to go hunt some big water, and, and my favorite, go catch walleyes. I can't wait. Yeah, and at the angle too. So we're going to drive through Canada to get to Minnesota and uh, do some layout bow hunting for for divers mostly and then also do some walleye fishing. I think it's Lake of the Woods, uh, Mille Lacs, Pepin, and Lake Superior, I think, are the four lakes. That's correct. You can do it on. So we're going to have a whole show for Prairie Sportsmen. And next week here on this show, we'll kind of recap our trip to Lake of the Woods to the Northwest Angle and let you know how you can do something like that and what our experience going through Canada uh, was like to get up to the Northwest Angle. That's all coming up next week here on Sporting Journal Radio. All right, this week, we're going to talk more ducks, lots of duck stuff on this show with Chris Sebastian from Ducks Unlimited, plus fishing reports from Joe Henry and an ice fishing preseason tune-up. What you need to do to get ready for ice fishing right now from Eric Osberg from Ottertail Lakes Country on the way. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast or by watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. I'm Brett Amundsen. And it is go time. If you're a waterfowl hunter, uh, particularly in the in the upper Midwest or the upper Plains states, the Central Flyway, uh, things are happening. There's been a big push of birds moving through. Hunters are, are getting after it. And we're going to find out a little bit more about population numbers in those areas. And then also we'll talk about the coast and the other flyways as well, too. Chris Sebastian from Ducks Unlimited is joining us now to talk about all things waterfall. Chris, how you doing? Hey, it's the best time of year, Brett. Uh, we're happy here. Things are moving. Um, my waders are waders are drying out as we speak from <laughs> the hunts this weekend. So we're doing good. How do you dry yours out? Because I feel like there's a there's an artwork. Uh, there's got to be some tricks. I, I feel like it's always the hardest thing to do to get your waders completely dry. Be, also because mine always leak. So I'll, I'll, tr- I'll think I've got them drying out and then I'll put them on maybe even a couple of days later and the boots will still be wet down at the bottom. Yeah, just upside down. And we have a furnace room on our house that's always hot. I can't hang them out outside because it's too wet outside to dry up. So, yeah, in the furnace room and then get them as dry as you can before you head out there again. And they're just they're the damp for, you know, two months. It is what it is, right? It is what it is. I, I'll actually hang them downstairs by my furnace too, but I'll throw a boot dryer underneath them and try to push some warm air up inside there and get them dried out a little bit. Right. Um, I, I got some new waders coming. I'm pretty excited. I've got uh, some some of the new Sika waders. I'm going to be bringing them to the, the Kodiak Island, the trip that we're going to do, and I cannot wait to get up there and hunt Alaska. Chris, it's been a number one bucket list item for me is to hunt ducks up in Alaska. And w- you got to go up there and do basically what we're doing. You got to do it last year up there. How was it? Yeah, we were up there for Ducks Limited Magazine. We did a big piece up there. So we were up there in mid-December, which um, I guess every week after October 1, you go up there, the chances of getting in and out on time like decrease exponentially, right? So 
the weather is 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 so cool to see um, in that in that environment. You know the the conditions that you have. Um, we were stuck in Anchorage for an extra day and a half because the winds going around Kodiak Island were hurricane force, and they finally let us fly in. You know when the winds got down to about 45, 50 miles an hour. So it, it's a it's a whole different world up there. And and yeah, I mean the the, the waterfall. Wait a minute, the, wait a minute. I just want to back up for one second. Yeah, Did yeah. you say they finally yeah. let you fly when the winds calmed down to forty to fifty miles an hour? Yeah, so we could fly from Anchorage <laughs> to anywhere we wanted to go in Alaska, except for Kodiak Island, because you just looked at the this the, this radar map and it was, the winds were just going around this island, and yeah, the 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 flight in was pretty pretty bumpy, but you know we made it. So yeah, we just planned for extra time before and after to get in and out. Um, the family wanted to make sure we were home by Christmas, and we were. So <laughs> that's what mattered. How long of a flight but, is that from Anchorage to Kodiak? Oh, it's only about 45 minutes, right? Pretty it's sure. it's a short flight, 40, 45 minutes, and you don't get up very high, but yeah, on the way in, it can get, it can get pretty bumpy. I bet. So Mark, so you went up with Mark Smith from Aglow. We're going up with Mark yeah. as well here. And he, he, we were talking about this trip and planning for it. And we were, he was saying, well, yeah, we got, we got, you know, we had to stay in Anchorage a few extra days or whatever because of weather. And so this is what you guys want to do some filming up there. I said, yeah, we're going to do this film for North American waterfall. I want to get a lot of stuff, really cool footage, really cinematic uh, interview. A lot of people up there get the, some really neat stories. And <laughs> he goes, well, you better plan for two weeks then. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't have I, to I twist my arm. right? Yeah. Right. Two weeks yeah. in, in Alaska. Sure. You betcha. Yeah. That's what so, I mean. What's, what's so cool about the people. Up Mark there Smith is calling me right now, as a matter of fact, what are the odds of that? Uh, but yeah, he's had to spend no plan, plan for some extra time. And, and the same thing happens when we go to Saskatchewan and when you're flying in those small planes and bouncing around, you are always flying around the weather. Uh, so we're planning for that a little bit. Weather's definitely going to be part of the, part of the story up there. Isn't it, Chris? Yeah, the weather is fantastic. So, I mean, just being up there. So, we were continuously in snowy conditions, pretty strong wind conditions. Weather was actually pretty nice. Uh, it was pretty temperate when we were there. I think the highs were in the upper 20s to low 30s, right? So, it wasn't too bad. The water was, you know, 31 degrees, 32 degrees right there and, you know, layer up. But, you know, the the people who go there for the most part in that small Kodiak uh, airport that we were in, they were there mostly to hunt blacktail deer, right? Mm. The number of waterfowlers that were there weren't great, um, which was surprising to me because it is really just this destination for, for, for ducks. But most of the guys there were, were there for, for deer. So, you know, every one of these little coves and, can, and outcroppings on an island just contain just piles and piles of ducks. We probably took over our three, four days of hunting, we took at least a dozen different species while we were there. Cool. So it was just, it's just numbers that I'm not used to seeing being a Midwest, uh, you know, gander. Uh, we don't see those kind of those diversity numbers. And it was, it was something to see, something to behold. Well, definitely looking for some of those ducks that we can't shoot back here in, uh, in Minnesota, like the barrows or the, uh, the harlequins or the long tails, uh, some of those ducks. I know it sounds like the harlequins are fairly easy to come by up there. Dude, they're like the wood ducks of Michigan. They really are. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And, and that's what blew me away was when we got there and the locals are like, really? With, uh, harlequin? That's, what's the big deal? They're just harlequin. And, 
know, you get out there and they really are everywhere and it's, it's just beautiful. But I'm telling you, I've not ever gone after a tougher slate of ducks than I have up there. I mean, you know, bring your heavy shot, bring your, 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 your big shot because, you know, they just, they don't go down. They're tough birds. They have to survive in the climate that we can't even imagine. Right. So it took a lot more than we thought to, to knock the birds down, but it was, it was a fun chase. I'm sure they've got a lot of insulation to stay warm and in, in those temperatures. So there's probably like some body armor to get through Yeah, on yeah. some of those. You should be okay with bears too. Don't, don't, don't worry about bears too much. You should be all right. Most of them are hibernating. The ones that aren't hibernating are really hungry though. So just be ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Good. Hungry bears. Perfect. Uh, no, and yeah. I, I, yeah. I, It'd be, you know, and I, I've, I haven't been around uh, grizzlies or brown bears. Uh, I've been around plenty of black bears. And as long as there's something slower than me that they can eat, I'm usually not too worried about it. But, uh, yeah, that'll be cool to see the, the, you know, just obviously we're up there to duck hunt. But seeing the landscape, seeing the wildlife and uh, learning about some of the local culture, I'm, I'm really excited. There's, there's going to be no shortage of things to be entertained by up there, I don't think. No, I mean, we were heading back into harbor after one of our hunts, and we had a gray whale just, you know, die, put his big tail down right in front of us. That was cool to see, um, you know, this uh, sea lions and, and all that stuff is just incredible. The people are are incredibly awesome, too, right? I mean, up there, there's, there's, so there's six villages on the on, on the Kodiak, and you can't drive to any of them. So you really are isolated by, by boat or by, by airplane. So they rely on each other so much. So everybody there in these towns uh, are, they're in it together, especially in the winter months. Um, they look out for each other, um, extremely cordial and friendly, and, and, and you're gonna have a good time seeing not just the wildlife, but the people there too. They're, they're, they're good people. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm excited about it. Uh, I, think, I think we're constantly gonna be rolling cameras on oh we should we should film that or we should get a picture of that and and maybe if we get time maybe we'll do some deer hunting while we're up there too we're not ruling that out but this is definitely going to be uh, a duck hunt and you you guys shot some long tails didn't you yeah yeah we did yeah they were they were all over and we do get some here in, in the great lakes um not a ton but we do get some and just the speed of these things are incredible to see them in person i mean we'd be cruising along at you know, 20 knots and they would get up and overtake us and just fly right by us. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, yeah, Scoters, Harlequins, Mallards, Adwall, um, um, Buffleheads. Didn't get any eiders on that trip a little bit too early in the season for it um, to see any big numbers of eiders, but that would be a great go back and get some of those at some point in the future. There were times that you guys just went out and just sat along the shoreline and shot ducks too. Very, it, yeah, and with very, very simple decoys. We're talking like a dozen, maybe 18 at most decoys of a simple long string. Um, we actually had, what was it, five pound fishing weights we use as, as weights because of the, of, the, of the tide, right? And you set your strings and you set up behind a nice fallen tree, you know, maybe probably a, a black spruce out there, and you set up along the bank. And then an hour later, your decoys are on dry land because <laughs> of the tides that wow. again not not being used to that stuff right so you have to get up reposition all your decoys and go 25 feet forward and set up again and but yeah the 
ducks are very easy to decoy. They're not used to seeing people um, or hearing calls or anything at all. We didn't use calls at all. I mean, they, mm. they just came in. So um, it was it was cool. And hunting with the guys you'll be hunting with is going to be great because they've lived there their whole lives. They're native Alaskans. They know all those special spots, right, that, you know, that people just kind of walking out there wouldn't be able to tell why is this cove better than this cove? Why is this rock outcropping better than that one? They know they've been there their whole lives hunting, not just for sport, but to actually provide food for their families. Mm -hmm. So having that perspective is going to be super cool. It's something that we don't see here in the, in the lower 48, as they, as they say, Uh, it's pretty neat. How often do you think they see fluctuations in duck numbers up there? Or do you think just because there's so much water that, uh, there's enough habitat for those ducks that populations won't be affected quite as much by habitat changes or weather. Yeah, we don't normally, we don't study that as much up there either. Um, they didn't say, they didn't have any stories about a lack of waterfowl ever. It's just more a matter of, of when, right? And the weather up there is different. So, you know, we rely on those cold storms and those, and those is, um, to, to get ducks down to us from Canada here in, 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 the, in the Midwest. You know, up there, it's the same thing. But they also have to worry about water freezing over a lot more than we do. Hmm. Uh, in fact, the week before we went there, they had some historic cold snap that froze up all these bays. And we were actually concerned that most of the water near the shore would be really, really frozen up. But it, it broke up just in time. It was, it was fine. You've got ocean water and ocean currents and temperature to play with out there. So um, it opened up just fine. And then, you know, flying in and out of Kodiak and out of uh, the village of Port Lyons, um, you know, you could see guys out there with their, you know, with their diver setups offshore as well. We never did that personally, but there were a few of them who were setting up offshore. So even if there is ice, you know, you can walk across the ice and get in, get in on the big water. Um, sounds like the ducks are there. It's just where to find them. Yeah. How, how are they in varying depths and what are they feeding on up there? Yeah, so we we were watching. So the long tail were, you know, they were out there in the middle of, of, of these of these bays, um, pretty deep water. I mean, very very deep water. But then the harlequin, they were right near shore, um, going after these 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 shellfish, these mollusks that were down there, and you could actually see them diving down there, cracking the shells and and and, and, and opening them back up. So you know, oh, a lot really? of fish, a lot of shellfish, things like that. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, some of the. Uh, some of the, what was it, the sea lion, it was, it was the otters. So the otters would sit there in front of Mark's place on their back, crunching on mollusks all day, like <laughs> like they're just popping popcorn, right? So you get this crunch, crunch, crunch at nighttime, and it's just, you know, just, just the otters doing their thing. It was, it was really fun to watch. That's cool. You know, the ocean is crazy. You just never know what's on. When we fished down in Florida this year, the the guy that we were fishing with, the guy down there, he's like, you just never know what you're going to catch down there. There's everything down there. And, you know, you'd see a shark, you'd see a grouper, you'd see, you know, some of the, the snooker, some of the fish that we were targeting. But uh, you just never know it, when you talk about being having a whale next to, you, next to the boat there. You just never know what's going to be swimming through the water there in the ocean. Right. Which is sometimes why I like to hunt in Minnesota, because I know that there's generally not anything in the water that can eat me. Or nothing can kill me here. Though, <laughs> exactly right. That's right. Well, you're gonna get you're gonna get some good footage too of of the deer. So what happens is, so these black-tailed deer, which are not native to Kodiak Island, they were brought in by people, you know, you know, generations ago. 
they they feed up in the in, in the mountain areas in the summertime, right? But then as the winter sets in, their food source slowly starts to you know decline, and they come down the mountains to follow the food. Well, once it gets to be December and of course January. The only food that's left is going to be some of that kelp and some of that, you know, sea vegetation along the shorelines. So the deer end up along the shore all the time and they're really hungry. Um, they're not really afraid of, of, of people as much. So we got to be pretty close to the black tailed deer. The problem is that that sea vegetation, that, that, that seaweed doesn't provide a ton of nutrients. So they're still hungry. So, so, who has figured that out pretty quickly are those bears, right? Mm. The bears will sit there and, 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 and stop the ghosts and take the deer that are down there looking for some food. So you, I mean, you really are right in the thick of the wilderness. As soon as you, as soon as you get off the boat and step on land, it's, 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 it's not your, your area anymore. It's definitely the wildlife area. Well, I can't wait to get up there. I'm so excited about it, but I'm also kind of excited about what we're seeing right now here in Minnesota and the Mississippi Flyway. Uh, we're kind of between the Mississippi and the Central, kind of right where those border a little bit there. Um, pretty good migration days here in uh, the last couple of days. We've uh, we've seen some good populations of, uh, was that green wings? I'm, I'm assuming that you were seeing today, Dan. Yeah, lots of green wings. Started to see some nice mallards coming down that were actually colored up. So uh, things are kind of happening around here, the Mississippi Flyway. So the storm right now, uh, as we speak up in the Upper Peninsula, we're getting a ton of strong winds up there. We have anywhere from 12 to 18 inches of snow predicted this week in the, in the Upper Peninsula. Wow. Um, that's pushing stuff through. A lot of teal have come through already, and we're starting to see a lot more of the, some of the bigger ducks come through as well. So... Um, so yeah, it's it's really starting to happen. It's going to warm up at the end of the week again, but I'm trying to find a way to get out there this week and and hit some of these early flyers, if you will. Well, I, I had two goals on my list, and one was to do layout boats, and one was to do Alaska. And I'm doing the layout boats this week. Dan and I are going up to the Northwest Angle at Lake of the Woods to hunt for uh, for divers out of layout boats. And of course, we're doing the Kodiak nice. trip. Uh, but we were we had the choice of a couple of different dates to pick from, and we ended up picking the earlier dates just because of our other commitments that we had on the schedule. But right. I think I think Lake of the Woods this week was about perfect for timing. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be in good shape for that. You really are. And we've got you know uh, uh, Waterfall 360 uh, on Ducks.org is, is a website that we have. That's really it's a it's an interactive hunting map that gives real time conditions as to what people are seeing. So you can go on there, you can uh, find your area, you can log in and actually, you know, tell people what you're seeing, what's flying through, what's not flying through, what the weather's like. It's a really good way to, you know, kind of get a, a teaser and a heads up from what's north of you, what's happening, kind of plan out what you guys are going to be doing after that. So, yeah, it, it's, it's really one of those, you know, you really need to be prepared to move when, you know, when you can move, right? Um, you know, save up those vacation days and, and really find a way to, to jump when you can jump. And you guys picked a good time to be up there. It'll be, it'll be nice. Yeah. I'm excited about it. And uh, overall it's been interesting. You know, what have we've been hearing a lot about pintail numbers this year, particularly early, there were guys shooting pintails all over the place. And with the limit being one in our flyway, I know that number's gone back and forth in recent years. What have you heard about pintail populations? And is that, has that been reflected in what you're hearing from hunters this year? 
Pintails overall are one of those species of concern for us. Um, you know, you know the survey numbers. So this year was the first time that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Canadian Wildlife Service, um, first time they were able to actually go out and do waterfowl surveys again. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've done annually, but because of COVID, they were shut down for a couple of years. They're just now starting to do surveys again because of uh, of, of the COVID delay. Um, this was the first year that they went out and flew the the, 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 the uh, breeding population survey area. Um, overall numbers are down. That reflects the drought. We'll get into that more in a minute. But pintail numbers are still are still down. So they're down percent from 2019, which is the last time we did a survey. Long term average, they're down 54 percent from mm. long term average numbers. So pintails are not, you know, population-wise, you know, they're one of our, our, our bigger, you know, species of concern that we're still researching to figure out why that is. Um, so the fact that guys are seeing them right now is, 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 is interesting. It's, it's good to hear. Yeah, we were kind of surprised about it. We shot, didn't we shoot some pintails early too this year? Well, oh yeah, we shot. Oh yeah, we shot some in Canada. That's right, and uh, yeah, in Minnesota. Yeah, we've and we've heard a lot about them. And then we saw a flock of specks earlier, early this year, and then last year on our opener. I think last year was around the you know September twenty fifth or whatever it was last year in Minnesota. I can't remember, uh, but we shot specks on the opener of Minnesota last year. What do you think is going on? Do you think? And we're seeing more snow geese uh, moving eastward. Do you think the populations are growing, or do you think there's been uh, some drought conditions that have moved the, the the birds' flight path around a little bit? You know, it could be both, right? But you know, the the changing of the migratory routes is what's always fascinating to me and to our scientists too, right? I mean, not just east west, but north south as well. Um, you know, here in the states, we're seeing you know, we're seeing habitat that traditionally over the years was managed for one species that now because of changing climate, whether it be amount of precipitation or just more realistically, just the temperature wise, you know, birds are not moving as far south as they used to. So, you know, our habitat managers and our DNR partners and the Fish and Wildlife Service, you know, we're having to really reassess in some areas how we manage land and how we go about a conservation project to see what's happening now, but what's going to be the needs, you know, 20 years from now. So in all these, you know, changing immigrations and, and, and seeing birds at different times, it could be an anomaly, you know, it could be one of those, you know, I, I like to uh, 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 stock market type thing, right? Day to day, you might see wild swings up and down, up and down. But what we care about is that long-term average and those long-term numbers and, and stats to really figure out, Where's the best place to use our dollars to try to put this habitat back on the ground? Um, you know, that that's that's very that 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 habitat land, the conservation land, really is, I guess you could say, illustrated by the right now, right? So overall, you know, the last couple of years of droughts in the prairies, um, we've seen you know a twelve percent dip in, in overall duck numbers from twenty nineteen. That's a twelve percent dip. Um, we're still above long-term average for lots of species. But if you think about it, that that's just, you know, a 12% drop in the last couple of years. They were up sky high before that, and they continue to be on, on a good arc. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that conservation habitat on the ground, then they'll never come back, right? So up, down, up, down with nature is completely normal. But if we don't 
able set for these ducks for when they're breeding, migrating, and wintering, then the numbers will continue to go down. So it, it just shows that that conservation works and that you know we're seeing waterfowl respond as, as part of that. So there's a U.S. State of the Birds report that came out, and it sounds like we're losing all sorts of birds out there right now. Yeah, so that one, this this of the birds came out. It's like over thirty some conservation organizations um, work on this report. First one came out in twenty nineteen. That's when they said we lost we've lost three billion birds since the since nineteen seventy. So in the last fifty years, we've lost three billion birds. Um, the report this year was equally as dark. It's saying, look, um, over fifty percent of our species of all birds, not just ducks. Um, you know, have gone down across the U.S. with one exception being the ducks and the birds that rely on wetlands. Those, those have actually gone up over 30% in the last 50 years. So everything's going down, 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 except for wetland birds, which are going up. And the studies continuously say that that's because of dedicated efforts by hunters and conservation groups to restore the habitat for the ducks. It actually pays off. So that investment, you know, over the last, you know, 50 years, um, for DU's case, you know, 85 years, to put the habitat in the ground, that pays off in those long-term stock market game. That's that's where it's paying off right now. Um, you know, we've done 15 million acres of conservation across all of North America here. And, you know, that means when we do have drought in the prairies, you know, the boreal forest is still going to be wet, right? So hopefully it's still wet, and it is in this case. So the birds can go over there and 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 work on breeding over there. So giving them options gives us all options come come hunting season. It's pretty pretty neat to see. It's it's amazing what habitat can do. You know when you see it when more habitat gets put down, just what it yeah. does. It's not just benefiting ducks or pheasants or deer or all the above, but also songbirds and all the other wildlife and critters that are roaming through the grass and other habitat. Uh, complexes that are put in, but it's also cleaning water and and cleaning air and doing a lot for uh, for humans at the same time as well too. So habitat organizations, of course, uh, thumbs up from us. And DU gets a lot of credit too for what happened. It was crazy because we were in Saskatchewan, Chris, and we went up in August. And we had a, a about a three week or so trip planned, and we went up and we fished Tobin Lake for for about a week until the September first hit, until the waterfowl opener hit, and then we then we started hunting waterfowl in Saskatchewan, and we were just jacked about it. We were so excited, and on September second, this import ban came down from the USDA about bringing birds back in from Canada, and we all just kind of shook our heads and we're like, you know, what the heck is going on here, and. So we made plans. We had family coming up that they were going to come up and join us and hunt. And they were going to, you know, bring some birds back, of course. And then all of a sudden they couldn't bring any birds back. And we were shooting, you know, a lot of Canada geese. We were, we were doing pretty well and we were eating it as fast as we could. So Dan called up USDA and he's like, what can we do? And they're like, well, as long as it's cooked, you can bring it back. So we got a bunch of sticks processed. Well, then on September 12th, the, the decision was reversed. So we, all of a sudden we had all these processed sticks. So we had to leave. We, we uh, gifted and gave away a bunch of sticks to some farmers and some friends up in Saskatchewan. But it was it, for us, we were in a unique situation because we were up there when both decisions happened. So we had to kind of go with the flow. And now obviously a lot of people were still planning to go up there after us, but 
what you what du did what you guys did to get that import ban reverse was a big deal uh so kudos to you guys for doing that talk about that process and what went on behind the scenes there to make that happen yeah no and, and thanks for that and and what you guys went through is what obviously thousands and thousands of hunters went through as well it's for some people it's either the trip of a lifetime to go up to canada or for some it's a we do it every year. It's our tradition. It's what we do. So to have this back and forth, back and forth, right on the cusp of hunting season, really put lots of people in a bind. So um, obviously this is all related to the um, avian influenza um, concern that's been hitting uh, North America. Um, you know, scientists have been studying this for months as to how it spread, why it spread, where it spread, and what those impacts might be. Um, so yeah, come, you know, come September 2nd, you know, that that ruling came down where um, they were trying to prevent the spread of that and they closed the border to all meat coming in. And and yeah, that was that was a real a real head scratcher for, you know, for a lot of us, because obviously the birds fly anyways. Right. They migrate, they, they migrate down south. So, you know, we give we give, you know, kudos to the USDA. Um, what we did was our our chief scientists met them on several occasions. Um, right after they came down, um, we got right on that. Um, they, they wanted to be educated. They wanted to learn more as to, okay, what are, what are your scientists telling us uh, or, or learning? What is your, you know, what is the science and data planning should be, you know, the best decision for this? Took a couple of conversations, but, you know, they, they, they realized that, you know, that, you know, that, that ban on harvested meat in across the border will not have an impact on, on the spread of this, of this disease for, for, you know, for whatever um, level it might get to. Um, and what they're really doing is just, you know, harming that tradition and also the economies too for, for the local, you know, Canadians who rely on our hunters coming up there. So um, we give kudos to them for, for using science to, to shape a decision and then change it back. And yeah, there was a lot of back and forth on the decisions, but in the end, you know, they, they listened to, to, to us and to our peers and, and, and to the science and actually helped you guys be able to bring some, some meat back, hopefully. Yeah. Well, explain and explain this one to me. Like, why is U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service tasked with the job of making sure you're not over your limit on, on over your Canadian limit when you come back into the United States? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, because because here, if we go out and shoot geese and then process it and make it make it into sticks, it doesn't count against your limit anymore because it's processed. But you can't process meat in Canada and bring it across the border because U.S. Fish at Customs has to count your birds and make sure you're not over your limit. Is that I, and, I, and, and to be fair, I haven't hunted Canada for very long, so I'm not very well versed in the reasonings behind some of these rules. But well, I, it, it seems it seems like that should be the job of. Canadian wildlife officials to make sure you're not over your limit, right? Yeah, before before it leaves Canada comes in into into Michigan. Yeah, I can't get into that either. I'm not fully versed on that either to know to know why that is. Um, you know, I know that this the, the whole AB blue thing added a wrinkle into that yeah. as well. Um, and really and really tried to show it shows the complexity of these cross border situations that we try to manage. Because obviously ducks don't know borders; they don't know international yeah. international boundaries. So, um, trying to manage that uh, together, um, you know, as as illustrated with the whole COVID situation the last couple of years, you know, going between borders is 
easy for apparently for ducks or for people at this point. So. <laughs> That's right. Well, and to be fair, I will say I understand USDA's concern with, with avian influenza and what it does to the turkey uh, turkey farm uh, industry and how it can wipe out, you know, millions of birds. And if you remember last year, we there were guys just seeing snow geese just falling out of the sky. Or you'd see Canada's just kind of sitting there days, not knowing what's going on. They were obviously afflicted. So it was it was a weird year last year and last spring when when you know birds were just dying all over the place as they were migrating. So I understand the concern. It was obviously just a little bit of a misguided uh, misguided uh, decision to put that ban in, and obviously it was reversed ten days later. So that was uh, that was good. So right now, let's walk through. So we're we're actually going through Canada this week to get up to the Northwest angle. So we've got a weird situation this week. So we have to, we have to travel through Canada to get to the United States from the United States, uh, if that makes sense. So we have to declare our firearms. We have to fill out the form, pay the, the $25 Canadian to get through and then spend, Oh, I don't know, 45 minutes or so in Canada and then get back into the States, then turn around and come back. So we're going to have to travel with, waterfowl through Canada. So I'd assume it'd be just like importing birds from Canada. Uh, what are what are the rules right now? And is it the way the rules have kind of always been or is there some changes with it this year now? Yeah, so I'm looking through here. So the new restrictions, so they have to, if they're coming from Canada or going through Canada, um, you have to have, let's see here, head and neck, feet, skin, and one, re- and one wing removed. Uh, feathers removed with the exception of one wing. That's that's the usual uh, Fish and Wildlife Service rules for species identification. They must be rinsed uh, clean and in clean water and packaged um, and leaf proof, leak proof packaging. Uh, they must be chilled or frozen. So, you know, keeping that one wing on for identification is important. Um, you know, aside from that, having everything else removed is going to be what, what we have to keep in mind. Yeah, it sounds like just everything just needs to be cleaned a little bit better this year. That's their big yeah. concern is just making sure everything is rinsed and clean. They're talking about boots and knives and whatever else you're using for processing. Just make sure that everything is cleaned off, which I I mean, I just try to clean all that stuff anyway, just uh, for cleanliness yeah. and, and sanitary reasons as much as possible. But uh, it it's going to be an interesting trip. We're looking forward to it. We're hunting out of layout boats there. It sounds like they had a good push of, uh, I guess it's a lot of buffle heads up there and maybe some, mm-hmm. some blue bills and some other divers uh, ripping around. So we'll just see how it goes. If we can knock down a couple of birds and not, not throw a camera in the lake, I'll be happy, Chris. That's my biggest concern. Well, and, and keep in mind too, we talk about these regulations and whatnot. It, it's not with a tone of we're trying to make it hard for people or we're trying to be you know a, a, a buzzkill for lack of a better term. It's that science is a continuously evolving thing. And right. as a science-based organization, you know, here at DU, we're constantly doing studies and surveys uh, on everything from, you know, how much nutrients a wetland removes from the water all the way to we put a satellite transmitter on the back of a mallard hen and see, see where she goes, right? We, we, once you think you know everything, it changes like the next day. So this, this avian influenza situation is an example of really learning on the fly. Um, it really is a, a shifting and evolving type thing. So, you know, we see why it might've been banned to begin with, but we're more excited and more optimistic about the fact that it was changed back uh, based on science. Because again, they're learning, we're learning. 
um, and the hunters, you know, we're all kind of in the middle uh, as we're trying to figure it all out. But we're trying. We're trying to figure yeah. it all out for us. So, well, that's try. Sometimes making things easier makes them a little bit complicated, and you just have to yeah. uh, just have to try to pay attention to the changing winds and. Uh, some things are changing here in Minnesota as we discuss habitat and habitat management. Uh, the drought has obviously not been great, but some ponds I've noticed that are normally a little bit deeper have been a little bit shallower, and maybe there's a few more ducks kind of using them because they are a little bit shallower. Shallow water is a friend of the ducks, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're looking at like three feet or so. That's where those dabblers can really get down there and get that submerged aquatic vegetation. And you have to have that vegetation and sometimes lowering lake levels will help that vegetation grow back. And there's a new uh, project coming for Indian Lake here in Minnesota, isn't there? Yeah, so Indian Lake was just designated by the state as an official wildlife management lake. And that's just official designation. There's actually 60 of these lakes across the state that have this designation. It covers almost 60,000 acres of lakes. What that does is it gives the DNR the authority to lower the water levels. And to get a little wonky here for a second, um, you know, the way we do a lot of projects for wetland restorations is that we go back in and we put the infrastructure on the landscape to give the DNR or the Fish and Wildlife Service the ability to kind of replicate what a wetland would do during its, during its cycle, right? Sometimes they're dry, sometimes they're wet. The dry part of a wetland cycle is just as important for ducks as it is the, the, the wet portion. Because what happens is when a marsh has been wet for years and years and years, it's developing the seed bank in the muck that you're walking through with your waders. Well, that's not going to germinate until you have the dry cycle. And what happens is it dries out, the muck compacts down, dries up, and new vegetation germinates and produces you know, more plants for the next wet cycle. So this up, down, up, down is really important. So the problem is that as, as a society, as humans, we've come through and we've kind of, you know, mucked up that whole wet dry process because of ditches and irrigation and buildings and subdivisions, right? So when possible, we go back in and we will put in berms, put in dikes, put in pumps, put in whatever it takes to give the DNR the ability to raise and lower levels to produce healthy habitat for more ducks and more wildlife, right? But to actually lower a lake uh, there in, in the state um, needs to be designated as a wildlife management lake. So Indian Lake in Sibley County there was just designated as that. It's almost 400 acres, um, this lake is, and we've been working with the DNR for about a decade now to come up with the plans to, you know, give them those those, those guts and those bones to manage that that lake better for, for waterfowl. So. Uh, you'll start to see it dry soon. We're going to be building a new uh, water control structure and new infrastructure there. And then the DNR can actually lower those lake levels. That does two things. One, it produces the, that, that, you know, germination area for, for those plants, but also kills off any invasive fish species that would have been there. So when you lower them down, the winter um, over icing uh, kills off some of the carp and whatever else might be in there. Um, and it produces again more and more healthy habitat. So it's a big win. It's a big win for for public land, for 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 waterfowl, and and for healthy habitat overall. It just takes a long time and lots of money to get it there. But we're almost we're almost there. Yeah, and it's been a, about two million dollars so far. It looks like with uh, grants from the Outdoor Heritage Fund, also a federal North American Wetlands Conservation Act grant, and then some private major donor contributions as well. Are what's yeah. paying for this? 
Yeah, yeah. It's we do nothing by ourselves. Uh, a, we can't afford to. But B, uh, you know, you just need partners for this stuff. The federal legislation, that state funding you mentioned, uh, private donors, and then you know the other, um, you know, the DNR partners, um, you know, coming together to make these things click takes years and years and millions and millions of dollars. This is just one project, right? One 400 acre lake um, in the state. And we've done hundreds of thousands of acres of conservation in Minnesota alone. So, you know, and, and it takes a lot of resources and time, but when it pays off, it, it, it shines and it, it really produces lots of ducks. Well, I think it's going to be a good year. I'm excited about it. It always goes way too fast, but, uh, uh, you know, we used to try to get out every single day as much as we could throughout the season. And of course, we're still trying to do that, too. But I'm really making sure that we have some uh, some landmark type trips, this Alaska trip, Lake of the Woods, Saskatchewan, and, uh, and, and create some memories with some special trips in there versus just trying to pound it out every single day. Try to maximize maximize that short window that we get for the best time of year every year chris do you have any other uh any other big trips planned for this year no so i'll tell you my bucket list is getting into the bottomland hardwood stuff down in southern indiana illinois you know being being a michigan guy and a whitetail guy as well um i'm used to being in the woods right um i'm not in the prairies like you guys are i'm in the woods um um is one of my bucket list items is to get down there and, you know, have a dog up there on a perch and you're sitting in three feet of water in a forest shooting wood ducks because they're coming down through the canopy. It's just, that's on my bucket list. So hopefully soon I'll be able to do that. The old timber, timber hunt. That'd be fun. All right, man. Well, uh, appreciate the time today. Uh, good luck the rest of this season. We'll send you some pictures from Alaska and thanks for being on the show. I'm actually coming with you guys. I'm going to stow away in your, in your luggage, so I'll see you out there. <laughs> All right, sounds no, good. You guys, have a good, you guys have a good trip. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. You are watching slash listening to Sporting Journal Radio. Thank you. I'm Brett Amundsen along with Dan Amundsen over there. And it's time to head up to Lake of the Woods. Check in with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, it's been an exciting time up there, it sounds like, this week. Man, we are in the heart of it right now. I mean, right now, if you're an outdoors person and you like to hunt and fish, I'll tell you right now, it's a darn good time of, uh, of the year. It's definitely a little bit cooler, and I was a little worried. You know, we headed up there to uh, hunt up at the Northwest Angle, which we're going to recap next week here on the show. But uh, I thought we might be a little bit early for the ducks up there, but it sounds like this cold weather has really pushed a lot of birds down, and it sounds like we're timing it about right. Yeah, you know, I tell you, that's one thing about duck hunting, right, is that the migration, you got to play the migration a little bit. And it sounds like you guys might be timing it very nicely. You know, we had some pretty darn cold weather, and uh, – you know, getting down in the in the twenties, and uh, I'll tell you what, that pushes some birds down. We also had some snow, and and that'll do it too. So, you know, you guys, uh, I think it's going to be working out real nice for you. Put it that way. And I'll tell you what, doing the layout boat hunting, man, how fun! I'm excited. Uh, so the the chili bowl wasn't just a clever name last week. It was kind of chilly out there. 
it was chilly out there. Yeah, you know, they had a little bit of weather come in just before the chili bowl. They had some snow and wind and stuff. And, you know, that's fall fishing, though. You know, that's kind of what you're used to. The one thing I'll say is that, you know, the chili bowl tournament is put on by Board of View Lodge. And it's got a capacity of 75 boats. You know, the great thing is that the boundary is the Rainy River. You, you cannot go on the lake. So, you know, when you talk about, you know, uh, and climate weather or wind or whatever the case might be, at least you're on a small body of water. Yeah, you can fish 42 miles of the river, but it's it's fairly narrow in, in almost all areas. And, you know, if you really want to play the wind, you can go around a certain curve or certain bend and really get out of it. So there's some variation. Yeah, well, we found that out fishing there in the spring last year when we were fishing in a snowstorm while we were up there. There's places you can hide, and fishing can be pretty good. How was the fishing for the tournament this year? Well, I think it was pretty darn pretty darn good overall. I mean, you know, they, they were dealing with really a, a, a pressure system coming through with wind and snow and rain and everything. Before the tournament and even during the tournament, it was pretty, uh, you know, a little bit windy and cold and stuff. But, you know, despite that... Uh, the winning bag of fish for five fish came in at about 19 pounds. So, you know, just under a four pound average, which, hey, you know what, uh, um, not, not a bad average. Most people caught fish. And uh, the, my understanding is, especially pre-fishing when the weather was nicer, a lot of fish came through, you know. And But, I mean, you know, everybody is saying, geez, you know, we, we caught our walleyes, but we also got, you know, a lot of times I'm hearing six different species of fish. And, of course, that would be your walleyes, your saugers, pike, smallmouth bass, sturgeon, perch suckers, crappies. I mean, you know, you, you're catching everything in the river. It sounds like they're catching some big sturgeon up there right now too, of course. Well, it's, it's funny. They're catching some big sturgeon and, and you know, a lot of the sturgeon being caught are being caught accidentally by walleye anglers just using a jig and a minnow. So yeah, in, in this time of the year is when those sturgeon, they start going to the holes and they really start getting active just before the winter too, you know, and you know, most people are up there fishing walleyes because the walleye run is on. The shiners and the walleyes are in the river, but some people still like fishing sturgeon. It's something different. And I, I get that. You know, it's kind of fun. I mean, plus to catch a 60, 70, 80, 100 pound fish, I mean, you do that every day. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're huge fish and they're fun to catch. And I know a lot of the the walleye anglers don't like battling them on walleye gear because it might be an hour long fight. But uh, I mean, how much fun is that to catch catch a fish that big, no matter what gear that you're using? We're hoping to get into some walleyes while we're up at the angle, of course, and maybe we, we talk to the guys and uh, maybe we'll target muskies a little bit while we're up there as well, too. But we're doing it for ducks, and then we're going to try to get on the rainy a little bit during our trip up there. Uh, but Joe, with this cold weather, it's got a lot of people starting to take out their ice fishing gear, starting to think about ice fishing a little bit. You know, I just talked to someone I'm going to be hunting with, deer hunting, and uh, he said the same thing. He says, man, as soon as it snowed, I was all jacked up. I couldn't wait to pull my claps pull out and get everything all kind of cleaned up and ready to roll for the winter. And I think a lot of people are that way, you know, and uh, uh, and it's awesome. But I will say this, you know, up at Lake of the Woods, you know, when we get things rolling, we're normally talking about November for spearing, end of November for spearing in the back. And then when we're talking um, – you know, getting day houses out, like resorts getting the, the day houses out. That's normally right around December 10th, give or take, depending upon how cold it is outside. So it, it's coming quick. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you haven't made your reservations, if you want your uh, select dates, now's a good time. What's your number one tip for somebody uh, getting their ice fishing gear ready for the new season? What's the first thing you tell people to make sure they do? Well, I mean, ma- make sure that uh, you're your uh, auger's ready to roll. So if you have a gas auger, you got to make sure you start it and everything. With your batteries, make sure if you have an electric auger, your batteries are ready to roll. And then, you know, as far as um, 
uh, your, your, your electronics, you know, make sure that your, your batteries are charged up, make sure your batteries still work. Okay. Well, and then in, in addition to the, uh, you know, your auger and electronics, I would start looking at your rods and reels and check out your line because, you know, your line in many cases, it can be good, but in some cases you might want to change it out. And, you know, also to take, take that last, uh, you know, 15, 20 feet of line off your, your spool, that's going to be the line that gets used the most and cut that off, at least start fresh that way. But you know, the other thing too, if you're a, if you're a panfish angler and you're using that two and three pound test, that's where you really want to check it over. Even walleye anglers, when I say check out the line, you, know, you want to feel that line. If there's any kind of nick whatsoever, you know, re- replace it. If you have any doubts, line isn't all that expensive, replace it. You know, obviously your, your uh, uh, super lines, your braided and such are going to last longer than your monos and your fluorocarbons. You know, if you're using a, a braid for, uh, you know, for jigging for walleyes and you have that, that fluorocarbon leader on there, you know what? replace that fluorocarbon leader at least. You know, just, just little things like that are going to help you do well. I also like checking my lures out, Brett. You know, sometimes you get a little moisture in there and you get some rust in there. Maybe you want to sharpen some hooks. Uh, maybe you want to do an inventory of your ice fishing lures to see what you might need this year. Um, terminal tackle as far as plain hooks and and some little snaps, but also you know, your, your your different lures you use, your jigging spoons, your you know, your jigging wraps or, or whatever the case might be. Bobbers, you know what? Are you ready to go for bobbers? Do you have enough? Do you have the right sizes? How about bobber stops? How about sinkers? You know, there's a lot of things to kind of inventory right now. Now's the time to do it, not when the ice comes. There's two, and I'm terrible at it. I'm a, I always wait to the last minute to get my stuff ready. But there's two things that you mentioned that are that are the worst, and that's one uh, is get finally getting all your stuff ready and getting out on the lake, and then trying to start your auger, for, you know, for the first time or or whatever, realizing that your auger's not working right because you got everything else out there, you trudged out onto the lake. And then he can't cut cut a hole open. That's it's you gotta make sure that your auger's ready to go. But bobber stops. I don't know how many times I've gone ice fishing and then realized I either forgot my bobber stops or brought the wrong tray or just was out of them and didn't restock. Oh, oh and then I'll inevitably tie it on the wrong place or something. You know, like <laughs> it's always something with the smallest little thing like a bobber stop. Are you good at fishing? I'm terrible at it. Yeah, yeah. it's not good. <laughs> you sound like you're that's, just why you, that's why you have Danny with you to help you fish. Yeah, but I really. The one thing I'll say about a bobber stop: if you forget your bobber stops, you know, one of the things we do sometimes I do sometimes anyway is if if the, the walleyes are biting a little finicky, I'll take that uh, that uh, rod and reel and I'll set it on a bucket and I'll I'll have that tip. Try to use a rod with a flexible tip, but you can just watch that tip. And sometimes, you know, that tip will just, if that just goes down just a little you set that hook, there's a nice walleye sauger hanging on there. And uh, that's kind of the name of the game. I mean, just adapt, right? I mean, even yeah. when I do have bobber stops, I do have bobbers. There's times where I'll just set that on a bucket, even a, a better indicator. Yeah. Well, it's going to be here before we know it. It's coming soon. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I will have my bobber stops and my auger working because we talked about it now and you guys made fun of me. So I'll make sure I got that stuff ready. The last time you had a working auger. (laughs) My augers worked every year. I just haven't had to bring it anywhere because we've always had about three augers uh, everywhere we go. But um, yeah, I'm excited for it. Although I just, my problem is I always end up hunting too late. And then by the time, by the time I'm done hunting and getting more serious about ice fishing, everybody's into the full, like this, the season's in full swing. Like I'm not an early ice kind of guy. Um, so, uh, usually things are in place by the time I get out there, but it's coming quick. And if people want to make a trip up to Lake of the Woods, they should plan it now. And what should they do if they want to find out more information about getting up there, Joe? Yeah. You know what? All of our resorts, all of our sleeper fish house businesses, et cetera, are on our website. And that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 
Fishing.com. Come ice fish the famous waters of Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world. Experience full-service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper house options. From the northwest angle to the south shore, Rainy River, and Baudette, the Midwest's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, sauger, perch, and northern pike, Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, best fishing anywhere. For more information, log on to lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on the network uh, by demand at sportingjournalradio.com. Maybe you downloaded the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts or you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. I'm Brett Amundsen. That's Dan Amundsen over there. And uh, there's a little bit of ice on some of the smaller bodies of water early in the morning, uh, a couple of those mornings here this week. There's a little bit of ice breaking when you were out there duck hunting the other day, Dan. So, I'm surprised somebody didn't go out there with an auger and uh, and some electronics and just just so they can say they were the first ones out on the <laughs> crossed my mind. I'm not gonna lie <laughs> on the ice. Obviously, not enough ice out there. Not uh, definitely not safe ice, of course. And Eric Osberg is going to join us now from Otter Tail Lakes Country. Eric, it's time to start thinking about ice fishing a little bit, isn't it? It is, and and I I would ra- given a choice, I would rather open water fish. Yeah, any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, eventually the globe will turn enough that the, the sun will be too cold and we will have ice and then, and then the first, you know, and then we'll go ice fishing. So yeah, it's, it's right around the corner. Yeah. We got some time obviously, but what what do you do this time of year? Like I'm notorious for being, for having my, not getting my gear ready for ice fishing until the day we're going ice fishing. Uh, that, we- that's a good question. I, I, okay. Um, number one, wherever, wherever your ice rods are right now, like where, try to think of where your ice rods are. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, <laughs> step one is find your ice rods. And, and, and what, what I do, like usually in the spring, I'm in such a, I'm in such a hurry to go open water fishing that I, that I don't really tuck my gear away like I should. But, and what I've been doing the last few years is is I, I i locate my ice fishing rods and at the very least i pull all the line off hmm. okay it's it's kind of hard to dedicate yourself to say okay i'm going to replace all the line well if you go pull all the line off you'll be forced to put <laughs> you know what i mean like when it, when it is time to go ice fishing you'll be like oh shoot i gotta re-spool so that's you know the yeah. that's one one thing that i've been doing the last few years is i just pull the line off and then when I go out fishing, I know I have to put now, obviously, if you're using, you know, walleye gear and you've got some braid and you're just using fluorocarbon leaders or whatever, you don't need to replace that every single year. Yeah. But but all your mono or your fluoro or, or you know, all that stuff. I'm I'm also notorious for taking my rods out the day we go ice fishing for the first time. And I at first time I open the bale and drop it out and all the all the, the line just kind of comes out, you know, tangled. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to replace this line at some point this year <laughs> pull it off pull it, pull it off now go today or tomorrow or this yeah. week or whatever pull it off now and then you'll be forced to put that new line on there 
Um, the, the other thing is just, I mean, it's, it's, I, you know, I'm not there yet personally, but, but just tackle management, right? Like a lot of the tackle I use in my boat, I'm going to use in open water and, and, you know, just, just organizing your tackle and it doesn't need to be, you know, the world's fanciest tackle boxes. Just, I mean, you get, get, you get, you know, go to any, uh, grocery store and get a, get, you know, lid lock lid boxes, you know, whatever it could be Ziploc boxes. It could be Ziploc bags, hmm. but just, just start to get your, just start to get your gear in order, get organized and, and, get, and know where, know where your gear is, your, your, your electronics. If you can, you know, plug in your tart, you know, plug in your electronics, give them a good charge now. And then in a couple of weeks, couple, two, three weeks, plug them in again. Um, what do you basically- what are you doing for your What are you doing for your electronics batteries these days, Eric? Have you switched over to lithium? I'm mostly lithium. I, I haven't replaced all, you know, I haven't replaced all my units and created exclusive lithium, but but I, I predominantly run Markham units. Um, and so I have mostly lithium. I think all my Markham units are 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 lithium batteries, but yeah, and those are those are just awesome. They're, they're light and they last forever. So, um, so that's another thing is just make sure your batteries are in, in good working order. I might have a, a Markham shuttle for sale soon. So if I decide to sell it, I'll let you know if you don't have one yet. You I'm might. Slick. I might. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm switching to okay, Garmin. So I bought a shuttle last year. Are, are you going live? Are you going live scope? I am. Are you? Yeah, that's that's my LX7. Love that unit. Um, lasts forever. Now I kind of now I'm not I'm not looking forward to ice fishing, but thanks Dan for finding that picture. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a. If you go back to that picture for a second, Dan. So that's a homemade rod holder that I made. Um, it it's basically it's it's a. It's basically a piece of PVC pipe just just cut at an angle and then mounted on a two by four or a two by six or whatever it is. Perfect. And and I just and and you know I there's other I I use JT rods and so you know it's not that's not what I would put a snare rod necessarily in. But the idea behind it is if if a fish hits that it and pulls down the 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 rod holder should absorb that, right? Like you should, I've lost, uh, I've lost a couple uh, rods, rod holders down the hole. Not uh, uh, last year. I, I I don't remember what kind of rod holder, but it was just, you know, a little aluminum thing or metal thing and bloop, it went on the hole. So I've been experimenting with the other trick. Here's the other trick. And I don't, I don't want to focus just on this picture, but that milk crate right there. Do you see the milk crate that the flasher is sitting on? Yeah. The, the, the catch hole or the catch cover, uh, hole covers fit perfectly inside of the milk crate. The milk crate. Oh, sure. And, and so I use milk crates to haul all my gear. What's that? Yeah. I've got yeah, one of those. So I use, I use yeah. milk crates to haul most of my gear. And then when you get there, then, you know, you empty your gear out or you could even leave your gear in there and you just put the hole cover on top. I mean, obviously you could just put the milk crate upside down. Yeah. But then all your stuff would fall out, right? 
So that's a that's a neat little discovery, mm. happy little accident that I had. And I I like to get my flashers off of the ground. Yeah. Just cuz it it helps, you know, I don't like to be bent over looking at the floor all day long. I like right. to try to you know, just saves on your neck a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, what, you know, in a pinch I'll stare at the floor all day long, I guess. <laughs> I always set mine up high on something, whether yeah. on a bucket or I've got a milk crate like that too that I haul my stuff out with. I've, I've never seen it with the catch cover uh, lid uh, on top of it like that, though. That's pretty neat. Yeah, and then, again, if you have a bunch of stuff in the crate, right, like you've you got dump it out. propane tanks or lures or tackle boxes or whatever, you just do that and then put the lid on top and it works. So That's a great so, idea. Yeah. yeah, I like it. The other, the other thing, go ahead. No, go ahead, Eric. I was going to say the other thing, um, I, I love Coleman lanterns. I love, 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 love old school Coleman lanterns. Um, if you're, you'd be surprised. They, they provide obviously a ton of light, but, but they can provide heat too. Mm-hmm. And I, I can remember one year, one, one trip last year, it was early ice and I walked a long stinking ways into the, you know, it was windy, it was cold, it was early ice, and I happened to have my Coleman lantern, and and all my batteries died, my headlamp died, my flashlight died, and I was able to fire that thing up, and, you know, they're, they're made to, to, to operate in the wind, right? Like, that's, they're, they're not windproof, but they're wind-resistant, and that was, that, I don't want to say the Coleman lantern saved my life, but there's just, there's something about that hiss of a Coleman lantern <laughs> that, uh, that uh, gets me going anyways so absolutely well i didn't expect to to give away so many ice fishing tips here in the middle of october but this is great i'm I'm gonna go find my ice fishing rods now you're actually helping me out just go find them and pull the line off and you're you're not gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) here's the, the last here's the last piece of advice i'll give um otter till county is open for business in winter uh, we've got a lot of resorts that that cater to ice anglers. Uh, if you're if you're into walleyes and and you can get on uh, Otter Tail Lake, Vacation Land Resort, and um, Barkey's Resort are, are a couple that come to mind. Barkey's Resort has a heated fish cleaning shack. Oh, nice! And yeah, so when you come off the lake and you're ready to clean your walleyes, you get to walk into a heated fish cleaning shack. Um, uh, uh, Vacation Land Resort, which is also on Otter, Otter Tail Lake. Uh, Trevor, if if he can, he, he he has some fish houses that he can rent and, and stuff like that. And he doesn't try to build a whole big road system. But but if I was coming up ice fishing in Otter Tail County and I wanted to catch walleyes, there you go, Vacation Land Resort, absolutely. If I if I wanted to come up ice fishing in Otter Tail County and catch walleyes, I would call Barkies or I would call Va- 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 Vacation Land Resort. Um, Holly's Resort is also on Otter Till Lake. And then there's other resorts like um, East Silent Lake Resort is open all year all year round. Um, uh, Shady Grove Resort, which is on Rush Lake, they're open all year round. Shady Grove also has a, a heated fish cleaning shack. And so just because it's summer, there's Shady Grove right there. Um, they've done a really fine job, you know, upgrading that, uh, the, 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 that facility over the last few years. So yeah, so if you're looking for an ice fishing adventure, um, we've got 1,048 lakes and we've got a bunch of resorts that are more than happy to uh, to accommodate you. And if a resort, if you're not into the resort thing, places like you stayed at uh, Pelican Motel, 
Lakes Inn at Don Villa, uh, Battle Lake Inn. There's, there's a bunch of hotel, motel, like uh, uh, um, uh, Grand Stay in Parker's Prairie. Uh, there's a there's a bunch of places you can stay. Some of them have a pool. Some of them well, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> might be a little cool for the pool, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But hey, right. uh, speaking of Pelican Motel, uh, my my brother watched the show when we were talking about the the yeah. towel towel I used to clean off Tiny up there, and he goes, "Hey, I'll bring some." He works for EcoLab, so okay. he's like, "He's like, I'll get that towel clean for him." <laughs> so. We'll, we'll well, I'll be out. sure to let him know. I'll Good. be sure to let him know. <laughs> Perfect. Well, winter will be here before you know it. Ice fishing is just around the corner. Eric Osberg, uh, thanks for the tips today, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.